Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the White Deer Filmmaking Podcast, uh, brought to you by the White Deer International Film Festival. Uh, I'm Alistair Railton, co-director of the film festival, alongside, first time in front of the camera as well, uh, Mr Adam Sandy, one of our other co-directors, formerly known as Just Being On The Wire. Welcome Adam. Now I'm in front of the camera. Yeah, Amazing. Well, there, it's... It's promotion, my friend. <laughs> Obviously, Mark Wisdom, our third co-director, will also be featured in the actual interview itself, um, so you'll be able to see him as well. Um, so in today's episode, uh, it's an exciting one. It's uh, Stephen King-based, and it's brought to us by Hendrik Harms and his team, uh, which made the film All That You Love Will Be Carried Away. Um, this film won the Best Ensemble Cast in our September-October uh, Film Festival bi-monthly period. So, um, very exciting episode uh, coming up for you guys to listen to. I think um, there's some really interesting bits in there as well. Mm. Um, there's just a couple of bits to, uh, to watch out for. You'll realise that Hendrik is sitting in front of a Christmas tree. It's not Christmas <laughs> now but it was when we recorded it. So don't worry about that. He's he's probably not got his Christmas tree still up now. So <laughs> you'll be glad to hear of that. Um, and his camera cuts out at one point in it, so we switch to the Skype audio for a few minutes, um, but then we're back to his good quality audio. So uh, that's it, apart from a new thing that we're starting this week. Um, do you want to tell us about that, Al? Yes, of course. So for our first 50 listeners of this podcast episode, we will be given a discounted entry code to the White Deer International Film Festival. This code will allow you discounted rates on all entry fees uh, to any of the categories that our film festival represents. So make sure you listen all the way through to uh, catch that. Right, let's get to it then. So, so, without further ado, here we go. Here's Hendrik. All that you love will be carried away. Um, I guess the the sort of opening question we'd like to sort of ask is, um, obviously it's it's based on a short by Stephen King, uh, from our understanding. Um, so I guess how did how did the uh, um, you first kind of develop that adapt that story from that novel uh, and what was the kind of process you went through uh, turning that into a short film? Um, well, I found it really interesting because a few years ago I heard about this Dollar Baby program that Stephen King runs and he likes up and coming filmmakers or students or anyone like that. You can pay him a dollar and it gives you access to like 16 of his short stories okay. um, and you can pick one off the list and then you go out and get the book and adapt it how you would like. Um, I'd seen one a few years ago. He did a uh, adaptation of a uh, Sherlock Holmes story, which was pretty wild. Um, <laughs> and I quite wanted to do that. But after a while, I was thinking, no, because Sherlock Holmes is a bit done to death at the moment. Mm -hmm. I wanted to try something a bit more unusual. Um, and so when I was looking for the different and various uh, stories, I came across All That You Love Will Be Carried Away. Um, I ummed and ahed about it a little bit. I'd just done a first short called The Music Box, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do for the next project and I thought having Stephen King's name attached to something would be really interesting and when I looked into it more I saw that Frank Darabont um, in the 80s he did one and after that obviously got Shawshank Redemption and things so right. it can do quite a lot of things for you open a lot of doors because again it's just <laughs> the name it helps <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so after that I got the book 
Uh, it's only like 20 pages long and it's about a traveling salesman called Alfie who finds graffiti in his, in various toilets as he travels around um, and he's really depressed and he thinks about killing himself but he's worried that if someone finds his book they will um, think he's crazy and so he goes outside and he sees a farmhouse that was earlier in the film and he there's a lot, there was a porch light on and now it's off he puts a gun to his head and starts counting to 60 and if the porch light comes on um, he won't kill himself and he'll publish the book and if it doesn't he'll kill himself and well he'll chuck the book into a hedge and kill himself so that was the kind of basic original story mm. um, and there was a few adaptations online already from the dollar baby thing uh, and I had a look at those but I was a little bit I was unsure about it well A you're not meant to put them online for starters but people are cheeky <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, I looked at a few of these adaptations and a lot of them were single characters, like the story, very faithful. And it was a lot of monologuing. And well, even like I said for this interview, like something dynamic and watching, like I think the average attention span now is eight seconds for like a video or something like that, isn't <laughs> it? To actually try and hold someone. Yeah, yeah. Most, most TV shows will have a shot that lasts two seconds before they change it because people just don't just don't have the attention span anymore and I thought if you're going to present a short film to someone where it's just someone talking in their head for the whole time about graffiti <laughs> it yeah. wouldn't be what I wanted so I started to think about how could I change it to adapt it into something more dynamic and that's why I, I came up with the idea of what if I brought the um, graffiti to life as characters and then let it and then the story just kind of built from there really. Excellent and, and of course um, those characters which um, the performances from them that's what you know introduces to us because obviously we that really captured us mm -hmm. uh, hence why you won the award that you did was best ensemble cast um did you find it was a challenge to bring in different uh well completely different characters from across any kind of spectrum that you may, may want to look at there's such a variety there um was that a challenge for you in in writing it or uh, making sure that you you captured that was that something that you really worked hard on I think really what I was most proud of because it's like it's all a it's all a process that like from beginning to end isn't it your script is very much a blueprint and when I wrote them um, I wanted this I first obviously came up with without ruining it the twist of how I could pull all the characters together mm. um, and then I started assigning personalities to them and what I really wanted to do was to show um, Alfie's kind of warped perception of reality I gave characters like the drug addict um, the, probably the most helpful roles and ones like the psychiatrist almost like the antagonist roles to him and so I wanted to subvert how he to almost mm. like to play on his mental illness to show how he views the world um, and as as I, as I started writing these characters actually like this isn't what I said so I'm not trying to blow my own horn here but so <laughs> like our third AD when they came on they said they read the script and they said he was really impressed with how how in-depth the characters were for such a short period of time so mm -hmm. I was quite proud of that and then the actors themselves they went away and they heavily researched it because I I didn't cast in the usual way I actually gave um, a screenshot of say like a heroin needle and I put three words on it of what the what I think summed up the character um, and then that's what I sent out for people. So they had to come up with their own monologues or find a monologue that they thought fit that particular character. That's and so, and I got, well, I got over a hundred applications for it. Oh, and the whole reason, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stephen King helped, I think. <laughs> I know, <laughs> the name. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, 
the reason I wanted to do it was because obviously, um, I suppose this is a bit of a spoiler, but not an overly big one. The characters you find out very early on in the film aren't real. Mm -hmm. And what I really didn't want was I didn't want to put that into the audition process because I really thought it would skew the perception of the actors. What I wanted them to do was play them as if they were real people. I wanted to see the audition and see how they came to me and playing these characters. Whereas if I put in that they were fake, they might have upped the stereotypicalness of it. Whereas mm -hmm. if they didn't have any script to go by, I could actually see what they were giving me and see if they had the right kind of energy. Mm -hmm. And they and that's how we got that cast because they are they were fantastic. Honestly, what a blessing to have them. Mm -hmm. Is it um have you done something uh, similar before where you've cast in a, a non-traditional way or is this something very new? That was new. Um, the last film only had like one character in it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, okay. This was this was a bit of a yeah. difference. And like my producer, when she came on board, I, I asked her, I was like, let's do this. And then I, I gave her the script and she was basically like, why? Why are there so many characters in this? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, my bad. I mean, the Christmas one we've just done. I said, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna scale it back. I'll do less. And then when I gave her the script, she went, it's the same amount. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got, I got carried away. Yeah. Um, but I think probably the biggest challenge was because they weren't there. It was the, we had to roll the scenes, um, and obviously at once, at some stages, you could have like, all eight of them around. And, but they're all appearing at different times. So we would have mm. to be rolling it and then we'd have to be, just yell, pause. And then you'd see them run in, stand. And then we'd be like, go. And we just have to do, do it yeah. that way. Cause in the end, I think um, my first AD, she turned to me and she just went, <laughs> she just went, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> she went, I'm trusting that this idea and this vision, you've got this in your head. And I was like, I think so. I'm pretty sure we're on track. Yeah. Editing was, you know, interesting. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic, yeah. Uh, how much sort of um, flexibility did you give the the actors with their performances? You know, like sort of how much um, did you give them room to to improvise, or, or was it kind of um, very heavily inspired by the original works, perhaps? I would say because of the, we only had five days. Mm -hmm. We had five days to shoot, and we had a three and a half grand budget. Yep. And uh, obviously, we had eight eight cast members. Mm and we were in a hotel room in the middle of summer yep. and it was mm. an absolute furnace especially <laughs> when we had all the neon lights up as well it was it was insane so basically what i said to them i when we went into every scene because sometimes like the last scene alone is about 12 minutes long mm. because of it's got a lot of reveals in it and to do the amount of setups we basically just had to set the camera up and just go for like full like seven eight minutes and just like they had to get the whole scene so i had to say to them i was like look I trust you guys. I'd seen them throughout the week. I, they were they were pretty. They were all off book. They were, had a really good understanding of their characters and the script. And so I was just like, go nuts. The only thing I asked for some continuity between takes. Mm -hmm. And um, the one thing that asked, absolutely has to be hit every single time is the exact wording of the graffiti because obviously mm -hmm. that was all integral to the final stage of the plot. Mm -hmm. So uh, for the most part, I gave them free reign yeah. because. I, I mean, I had Skype conversations and they did Skype. That, what was nice, I found out afterwards, there were Skype people that, that had like, the character of Alfie and Zoe, um, they quite heavily interacted with each other throughout the film. And so they were actually having Skype conversations themselves before mm -hmm. shooting. And they all got really, really close because one thing I wanted as well was I didn't want everyone to turn up cold. Mm -hmm. So we yep. did a, a table read. My friend owns a pub and we did a table read where they do like the best homemade pizza and beer on site. 
And so I was like, come along for the day. And we gave them all goodie bags where they had like different things that for their characters. And we all just had some drinks, had pizza, and we reenacted the film. And we just had the top part of the pub and we just did it up there for the day. And what I wanted was to really like get them to break the ice because they're all part of him in a way. And so they all had to have that comfortableness that they'd been there the whole time so it was really important to me and I think once you had that once you built up the real life relationships I think it was much easier to translate that to the set mm, definitely. yeah did it help to um, make a more um, a, a freer team so people could feel like they could present their own ideas uh, and I suppose we I think in the stuff that we've done we found mm. that whenever everyone feels comfortable uh, they are able to share their ideas in a way that they don't feel uncomfortable doing. And I, I we've always found that that helps to create um, the better overall project. So I, I, it was that sort of thing that you found as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I set up a WhatsApp group just for the cast and myself. And right. so everyone could just, and I made it clear very early on with a variety of memes and gifts that it was going to be a very lighthearted affair. And okay. that's, I just wanted to, and the group's still going today and I still speak to them all today. So like wow. it's, yeah, yeah. that's, um, that was it was a very important process because you had to in a way Alfie although he's the main character his character is actually I would say in a way Jack played him phenomenally but the actual I didn't give Jack a lot because although he's in every scene um the character of Alfie is actually rather two-dimensional okay. it's all these it's all the other fake ones that actually make up his personality so they mm. that it's how they're interacting with him in the scene and that was that was the real trick to try and get them to a stage where you believed you were watching almost like the derailing of one person yeah. and his men and his psyche fighting with one another that was kind of and I think it absolutely I think you're completely right that making sure the actors are in that comfortable space mm. every time 100% <laughs> what was the uh, the biggest surprise for you would you say it was it like a, a characterization side which um, thought oh, I've never even considered that and that's just that's just made it so much better. Was there something like an occasion where that happened or, or something where you, uh, you really felt, yeah, that, that's just, uh, that's just very interesting. And, you know, it hasn't sort of occurred to you beforehand when it's gone from the page to being presented as a moment like that. Yeah, there was a, there was a few like, uh, the character of Rosie, she was, um, basically meant to play like the kind of, um, like damsel in distress the kind of old she was very much because of like we tried to take it down a bit of a noir tone and then obviously have the neon things just to make it feel bring that dreamy essence to it so you couldn't really work out where you were and what was really happening and Rosie's character was very much of the femme fatale that you would see you know your Betty Boops and things like that and she had a really interesting job because obviously she has lines like you're never going to love me um, or you see me as is a whore and things like that and she related that on a different level and she played the part completely differently to how it was written as oh, and it was it, like a much more there was much like more uh hurt and woundedness behind her eyes I think and I think that's that was a surprise the guy that ended up playing the clerk or clerk if we're in England but <laughs> someone said it in the first take and we're like well it looks like we're that's going with clerk <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, he we only cast him like two days before shooting because mm. unfortunately the original one had to drop out because he got a job at Channel 4 and I, mm. <laughs> I couldn't begrudge him yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and he, so I hadn't actually seen, until he turned up on the day, I hadn't actually seen him do anything. Mm. Right. Um, but yeah. yeah fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Brilliant. Um, so 
I suppose it would be really good to sort of delve into so you've had a lot of um, really good things which have happened on set, things which um, which really surprised you and, and helped make it. And you mentioned a, a few uh, difficulties, for example, with the, the room itself being like a furnace because of the summer. Were there any other challenges at all which you felt that um, you would like to try and maybe avoid in the future or something which you maybe just took you by surprise and, you know, that was just a challenge there, it, a unique challenge perhaps, or something that really struck you as being a difficulty? Um, every single day of the shoot. because well it was i don't it was like i would do that those five days again in a heartbeat like uh, you were going to bed at like 4 a.m no you're going to bed at like 2 a.m and getting up at 4 a.m and like a few hours Mm. sleep and then you were just like going and going and going the fact that we got a 45 page script done in that time was astronomical um but it was i think it Location was a big thing. Obviously, if we'd had the ability to do set builds and stuff, we would have done. Um, but the hotel that we were in, they were so accommodating. But like in that room, you had the heat, but then you'd have like the neighbors, TV on in the morning, showers start happening. Then when you get when you then we did the lobby scene, we only had a few hours and people were still trying to check in. And so like what you had to stop everything you were doing and call out the the staff to be able to do the check in. And that was difficult. I mean, even funnier, people kept coming up to the clerk and being like, can I check in? And he was like, ah, help me. Um, and then obviously the woods was at like 2 a.m. freezing. Like every, like I said, every day presented its own unique things. It's not that I would change them because you could, there's not a lot we could have done. It's just mm-hmm. filmmaking, but it's surprising. You yeah. can think everything is going completely to plan. Then you get there and you're like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what's happening yeah. 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 Uh, based on those challenges is there anything you've sort of learned that you would do differently next time all of it like even oh, yeah. like <laughs> I mean uh, it's it's hard like having more crew mm-hmm. um we had to take hits in certain places, but okay. we did have we did have a lot of a lot of people on hand that could help us. We had to double up a lot of roles mm-hmm. um yeah. and I think as well just just things like i suppose. It's not being more prepared, it's learning from that shoot. Like, you know, uh, they're having to transfer all the data that takes time from hard drives, like um, the different batteries that you need to have between um, all of it and stuff. That's that's a big thing as well um, because lighting started running out and my monitor, that was was something that was constantly... Sorry, I've just got something that's popped up. that was something that the monitor that I was using to look at all the footage, that was the same batteries that powered the lights. So when the lights were starting to go, I was like, screw it, take my battery. I will just have to, I just trust that you'll be doing what. And again, that presents its own things. Cause then when I got into the edit, I was like, oh, if I'd seen it, I would have tweaked something like that, which not, don't me wrong. That was like, there were minuscule things, but because I didn't have that. And so that, it, like I said, you learn from, learn from every shoot. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just uh, to confirm, Hendrik, where are you based? Uh, Worcester. Worcester. Okay. Um, so we've we found this. We're based in the East Midlands. We found okay, that cool. um, it's uh, there are different challenges that you face when being not in London, for example, or not in a, a major area. Now, of course, you're quite close to Birmingham, mm. um, but have you felt that uh, you've had any particular challenges uh, based around where you are located, um, for example? Um, or have you been quite open with keeping the production as countrywide? Or is there any kind of, do you like to keep it um, close to home or open? Or is there anything uh, in particular that you'd like to do? Or 
just quite open. Um, I would say it's a bit of a mixture, really, because supporting local talent is a big part because there is actually when you start scratching the surface of an area there is mm. a lot there mm, um, but also when it came to the cast it the cast especially and my dp like dp came from kent the, um, we had some cast members from the midlands some, mm. well, someone from just down the road mm-hmm. um and the, but then we had it from all over we had as far mm. as hastings um mm, yeah. and i think that it it depends on the job. You can keep it local, but you do have to also do the best for your project. Yeah. And it's finding that balance. I I did acting myself for about five years before this. And so I traveled all the way around the country and I never felt I had to move. I actually think yeah. I'm quite um, lucky to live in Worcester. I mean, we have, it's quite central. It's two hours to pretty yeah. much everywhere. Yeah. We have two train stations, soon to be three. We have two motorway junctions. It, we're, we're quite well equipped in this area, um, mm-hmm. but there isn't a lot going on. So uh, in August, I've just opened up a film studio in the center of town um, to try and generate some more stuff there right near a, a major station. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like well, like yourselves, I'm actually working on founding a film festival for Worcester as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and But I'm, I'm kind of going on the... Um, what I want to do for mine is, I know it sounds silly, is to make it, I suppose, less about the film because it's had a film festival here before that didn't really take. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do this time is I've, I've enlisted the uni, the council, some private businesses, the rugby club, um, and we're going to do like a city-wide, like get bars involved. Like there's a, a great 30s bar. So like imagine like going to watch uh, The Great Gatsby whilst having like a mm-hmm. cocktail yeah. in there. Nice. And so we want to use venues like that, but then also use some of the local cinema venues that are going on um, to show stuff. I mean, next year will be even better. There's a friend of mine, he's opening up a charity cinema that's just to give jobs to people that can't get work. Or, and um, he's he was been in the acting business all his life, and he like knows various people. Um, he's got some really interesting. I can't ruin the surprise. But he's got some really interesting, like quite A-list big speakers to come and do a Q and A when the cinema opens and stuff. So we're trying to culminate that because my whole ethos is I'm a creative. I love telling stories. I love making films in whatever form it is. And the one thing I've always resented is having to leave because why should I <laughs> like lots of other people they can do their jobs from here why is there nothing creative mm-hmm. yeah, um, and so it's trying to change that and that's why I'm working with the uni to try and build retention so after after a few years those students they don't have to feel they have to leave the Midlands they don't have to feel that they have to leave even Worcester and they can actually get the work here and then coupled with people like Stephen Knight who makes Peaky Blinders putting that 200 million pound studio in Birmingham mm-hmm. that will rival Pinewood we'll see a lot more come into the Midlands which is why I wanted to open a studio because now's now's the time I mean mm-hmm. it's actually yeah. I think for a number of years it's been per, it's been a perfectly poised point to start pushing it because you can do it now. I mean, phones. I mean, part of I think a part of Avengers had it filmed on an iPhone because they couldn't get the camera down the streets and stuff. Wow. And then there was that snowball fight that was just put up by the um, what's it called, the John Wick director. Did you see it? All filmed on an iPhone that. 11. Wow. Check it okay. out. Yeah. He's, yeah. It's really really cool. Um, but you can do so much now. You can pick up a camera. You can edit. You can do. You can do a lot from home. You don't need mm. to. London doesn't need to be the place anymore. Mm. And yeah, I think this, there are hold-ons for the industry but I think it is starting to realize that you can be anywhere so it's only as strong as you want to push your area mm-hmm. to be a part of it yeah that's such a such a good message and I think the one that we try and push as much as possible because you're exactly right there is in this digital age I mean you can make a film 
literally anywhere and actually some of the locations which we have in the midlands uh, and anywhere in, in the uk uh, they're just amazing mm-hmm. and they don't get seen enough and there's people which um are struggling away um who rightfully deserve to be seen and have their their i guess their voices uh, put forward um but maybe because they're not located in london or one of the big places that they don't get to show off their work but as we i think we all know there are extremely talented people everywhere um and really yeah it's a really good thing to try and to try and do so all, all with you there um would you say that um uh, all that you love will be helpful to you in sort of promoting what you want to, to do um will you use it for example as part of your mission i guess or is it about um moving on to to projects and making more things to sort of show that there is a um a sort of um a momentum trying to be built to sort of keep the keep what you're trying to do going forward um or you sort of using all that you love to to really knuckle down and say this is my this is what i can do let's uh let's do some more great stuff well i think it's a bit of both really because okay. all all that you love has changed um the game because i mean the first film i did I was actually doing it, like I said, I did acting and I was doing it for, I kept getting these roles through from my agent and um, like for self tapes. And the one that came through was um, for a, um, like a bouncer. Right. And I was like, um, <laughs> my stature wise is not very tall. And so I was, I was, I read the script and I had to do this self tape. And then I was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I mean, sometimes you have to look at yourself. No actors will be able to do absolutely everything, but it got to the point where I was like, and the way I speak, I was like, I don't think, anyone is going to believe I'm like excuse me sir could you just <laughs> I just didn't think it was going to be a very so yeah. I started thinking well how can I make my show real better and I liked writing um, I'd done it all my whole life and so I thought I'll write a short film and so I think the film cost me about 10 pounds um, and I wrote directed it shot it I acted in it with the main actress for a bit uh, edited it color graded it uh, uh, produced, marketed, or so I basically did every role mm-hmm. except make the music. And um, she came up to me and she went, "Look, I've been doing this for years. I've never had an experience with a director like that. Have you actually thought about doing something like that?" And I thought, "Well, no, I, I hadn't really. I, I, on the off chance, I sent the film off to film festivals and it won two awards mm-hmm. um, yeah. and was nominated for best feature. It was meant to be a short, but it overran." Okay. No, okay. considerably <laughs> um, <Know> the feeling. <laughs> uh, and it run it won uh, it got nominated for best feature at a BAFTA festival BAFTA mm, nominated yeah, festival yeah. so I was like well maybe I should look at this and that's why All That You Love came up because I was like I need a project that I can step back completely and just do very much the writing directing role of I mean I did the producing as well but that was my, my main thing to see can I do it mm-hmm. um, and I absolutely loved every minute and yeah. I think that's kind of what moved me into then doing Wild Hunt, where again, I just stayed completely behind. And that's where I will probably go from here. Just keep Excellent. doing shorts. Yeah. But my, uh, we're gearing up for our first feature next year. Fantastic. Hopefully. I hope that goes really well. Um, do you find, I mean, I think that you, you've mentioned this to me, Al, um, having um, experience of being an actor um Com- com- compliments yeah. you it, it helps you to direct actors doesn't it like you have that experience of acting yourself you know what works mm. and and then to be able to then translate that into direction yeah it helped it is a massive bonus so wouldn't you agree Hendrik well, <clears throat> that's one thing I found in that first short when I couldn't get the actress to 
perform it how I, I liked it because mm. sometimes even when you're trying to explain mm. when two people are thinking different things you can't always get it exactly across and so yeah. I did the scene kind of with her mm-hmm. as if I was being her yeah. and she she got it and I actually found that helped me a lot and because I did a like a recurring barman role on doctors the mm-hmm. daytime set one for like yeah. several years so yeah. I'd been around sets that had loads of so I understood the etiquette I understood how everything went and I think yeah. the experience if anything I that's the that's the biggest thing I would say to people to actually go out and actually go in front of it and get rid of all your fears, get rid of all those things and actually give it a go in front of the camera because I actually think it gives you invaluable experience sure. to do it behind it because the one thing I found when I moved into directing is I didn't know it was an option for me. And I think that's the one thing. When you hear film or you hear creativity at university or things like that, you know there's drama, you know there's things like that, but um, you don't know these roles are out there. I, I assume for the director, because it's like the top dog on the set, mm-hmm. that you would have to work your way up to it mm-hmm. after several, several years. So I never actually occurred that it would ever be a possible option for me to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. And I think that's where the the whole idea needs to change towards creativity, because the, it's not. if Because it's actually more of a... Um, there is a technicality to it, but it's, it is an art form at the same time because you've got to, it's like the writing part. You've got to translate this into a visual thing that makes sense to people. Yeah. Um, and because luckily we have a really good relationship because one of the colour graders from Encore, they do all of like the Bond films and Peaky Blinders, the mm-hmm. Post House in London. Mm-hmm. Um, one of their colour graders follows me on Instagram. And so I contacted her on the off chance for All That You Love. And um, I was like, can you help me out? And uh, she, she, they were like, what was your budget? And I told them and they're like, oh, we don't even start at that. But they, <laughs> they, they really kindly, they worked out a deal for me. And so I was able to go into the same booth that Peaky Blinders was color graded. I had my, my All That You Love done. Yeah. And oh, I was oh. talking to her about how she, got, how she got into color grade. And she said, when I went to um, do it at uni, didn't even know it was a thing. So she did editing because they, they do the big blocks of what mm, people yeah. know, but they don't tell you that these things exist. And she said she was working on a David Attenborough documentary and uh, she went into um, the studio where it was all being cut and she was like, wow, this footage is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then she had to take something someday to the color grading guys. She went into the room and she was like, what? How have you made that look even better yeah. than the raw footage was? And yeah. she went, what even is this? What? Yeah. And they were like, it's colour grading. And yeah. so they brought yeah. her in, they taught her everything they know, and now she's worked at this post house doing all these great things. But she was like, I didn't even know that was a job, yeah. a separate yeah. job yeah. to do. And so I think that, um, I'm sorry, I got a bit off topic there. No, that's all right, that's all right. <laughs> no, it's, uh, that's, that's the sort of thing which um, really, I, I certainly feel, I think you've said this to me as well, Al, that people don't quite understand how deep this industry goes mm-hmm. and there's a job in as a place for everybody mm-hmm. um, and what you learn today might be completely different to what you end up doing in five years time and in, in 10 years time yeah. and that's why it's one of the best industries to get involved with um, so yeah that's fun that's brilliant yeah, yeah absolutely it's mm. fun and it can be a very inclusive place if we let it you know it's uh it, you know I, th- I think it is gradually moving more to in that direction of being a mo- like it's not as much of a closed circle as it once was like mm. you say everybody can try things now everyone has but the that's capacity because, to that's because there's people like us in it though yeah because uh, it was very closed because it was so hard to get mm-hmm. into so when yeah. you get in you close ranks but yeah. now with social media the internet networking it's the world's a different mm-hmm. place Absolutely. it's not it doesn't have to be and the thing is you 
everyone has to pull their weight. You want, all want, you're all aiming for the same goal. It's one of the most fantastic things because um, you're, all of you are responsible for this one end product. Whatever your role is in that, that is there. It's not like, mm. um, I mean, I suppose it's the same even in engineering when you're building something. Yep. You're all part of that thing that makes that whole work. Mm. And I think that's why it's so important. And I don't get why people try to underhandedly uh, like sabotage things, undercut, or they're divas, or they're mean on set because it doesn't work. Like, reach out on Facebook, send someone a message. You see something you like, drop them a line to be like, mm. "I love that. I love that headshot. I love that that show reel." Because it is, we work better together as absolutely. creatives. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Excellent, hundred percent. Such a good yeah. message. Yeah, <laughs> such a good message. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's um, really, honestly, very good to hear, and I completely agree with you. Um, just a fi- final few questions, if you yeah, don't yeah. mind. Um, yeah. I suppose the the first one would be you briefly touched on everyone's trying to reach the same goal mm-hmm. what for you is your ultimate goal where do you want to be right now if you said maybe in five years time ten years time what would it be well i think i would have to say i would like to be writing and directing films okay. um but and and also running what my studios that i'm doing at the moment because um i know the reason i opened the studio was because i want to be doing this but i'm also very aware that um, you are <laughs> you are at the mercy of bums on seats, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and you could have you could have The Godfather two, and release it. No one goes to watch it. No one's going to know that you've made this fantastic, amazing film. It doesn't matter. And so I've seen a lot of production companies like over the years because I've always loved film, and I will watch them, and the, I'll see the logos, and then they'll stop, and I'll look them up, and they disappeared. They mm-hmm. they they didn't get enough people to go and watch something. It it flopped, and all the rest of it. And it, they're not necessarily bad films, but mm-hmm. and so I wanted to build a foundation, a foundation on which I could that would be sturdy. Hence why the studio and the film festival, those arms I wanted to build in alongside the studio, would be something where that core thing would be always something that is untouchable and then the films can come and take their hits as they please as time goes on that's kind of i would like to still be doing these things and hopefully um well we've like i said gearing up for this first feature and i have my eye on some like great actors that i would like for it so at the moment i would say that's my dream because i think that would be a really good project <laughs> yeah fantastic. so um, that's it. well um how can people follow you hendrik how can they keep up to date with what you're doing and um, support you in any way that, that they might be able to well we've got a website harmswaystudios.com mm-hmm. um, we've also got Facebook Twitter Instagram all Harmsway Studios so people can find me absolutely anywhere we've also got a YouTube channel that's uh, we put up all over um, like the shorts and the trailers and all of that on um, mm-hmm. so pretty much everywhere you mm-hmm. can find me just look for Harmsway Studios <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant uh, well thank you do you have any final questions Al? no that was uh, yeah that I mean, was, we've, that, that, that was brilliant yeah. honestly fantastic um, it's inspiring encouraging yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks thanks very much guys so that was a great interview from Hendrik I thought it was really interesting a lot of the bits that were covered in it um, I think he shares a lot uh, of his ethos with the way that we work as well um, as a festival and it's really great to hear about his upcoming festival as well we'll be sure to and keep an eye on what he's doing and support him where we can. So if you want to uh, learn more about um, our film festival, ourselves, uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook, uh, Twitter and Instagram. We're on all three. Um, You can also visit our website at www.whitedeerfest.co.uk. Check out all the previous podcast entries there, as well as how you can get involved with the film festival itself. You can listen to those on the website. 
and also on wherever else you get podcasts. Um, yeah. And you can watch it on YouTube as well if that's the kind of thing that you're into. Absolutely. I certainly am. <laughs> well, that's good. So. Well then, you get the treat of seeing my face on this episode. And I'm, I'm, I may be interviewing on some future episodes. Uh, that's a bit of a spoiler alert, but... Um, I think I think uh, everyone will be happy to hear that, to be honest, Adam. <laughs> well, you're very kind. That's all right. <laughs> now, as promised, we do have that waiver code that will give you your 10% discount to entry to the White Deer International Film Festival. The code, as follows, is all capitals, WDPODHH01. That's WDPOD. HH01. Make sure you enter that when you uh, submit your film to our festival for a 10% discount. Excellent. Well, uh, we'll catch you next week for our next episode. We've got another one uh, recorded that's very interesting. We won't spoil it now, but um, we'll let you listen then. So, see you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye.